Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor This Dave year Crockett. we've had an overarching theme of freedom, and we, we haven't necessarily use that language directly, regularly on a Sunday morning. But as you walk in, you can see that the sign that's there, freedom. And, and our thinking on this whole topic of freedom was that there, there are some things that we're free from and some things that we're free to do because of who Jesus Christ is. We, uh, had most, uh, or most of our messages, apart from perhaps when we've had a guest speaker and have been kind of directed towards different aspects of this. We, we talked earlier in the year, we, we had a whole bunch of Sundays on some myths about God, understanding who He really is, getting our, our thinking right in some of that. We uh, just come out of a series on spiritual practices, stuff that enable us to grow or, or live the transformed life was the language that we've used. And the key verse for this year, it's on the, the board as you walk in there, Ephesians 3.12, in Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I love that. Because of who Jesus Christ is, we have freedom and confidence to approach God. I reckon that verse sums up the entire gospel so well. See, what, what it used to look like to, to, to be made right with God was we, we didn't have access to Him. If you know uh, the, Christmas, or the, the Easter story, you know that um, a pretty dramatic event happened as Jesus died. The, the temple veil was torn in two. And what the veil was, if you can imagine that we're, we're inside the temple, it's a pretty good place thing to imagine. It's not that far from our capacity to imagine this morning. And there were, there were different parts of the temple. And I don't want to unpack that all this morning because we don't have time and it's not in the scope of this message. But there was a place which we'll call the inner sanctum up here where the worship team were that is what they called the Holy of Holies. And there was a big curtain that went from one side of it to the other. And once a year, one person, the high priest, was able to go into that place and make an offering to God. It was done with such fear and trepidation that they used to tie a rope to the ankle of the priest. He had to prepare himself for, for, for quite a while leading up to it to make sure there was no sin in his life. And they put a bell on there. And if the bell stopped ringing, it was a sign that the high priest had been struck dead because of sin in his life. He couldn't come before God unless he was perfect. So he would go in, and, and if the worst case scenario happened and he died in there, they couldn't go and get him. So they would pull him out with the rope. But when Jesus Christ died, they tore, the, the veil tore all the way down as an opening of access between us and God. That's what Jesus Christ did. He made the way available for everyone to have access. No longer was it at certain times of year and certain people but it was all people at all times, anywhere, anyhow, anytime we had access to God. Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross, opened the way for us to be able to approach God with freedom and confidence. 
Freedom comes from the aspect that there's no longer the, the regulations surrounding how we come to God and confidence because when Jesus Christ died, the, we went from the old covenant to a new covenant. The new covenant or the language the Bible uses, New Testament, it's the same word, is that we now live in a covenant of grace. In other words, we're not judged by the sins in our life. We're judged by what we've done with Jesus Christ. When God looks at us, He doesn't see the sin that He would have seen under the old covenant. He sees the, the, the life of Jesus Christ in us in the new covenant. That's what happens when we become a Christian. We transition from, from this side of life where we, we got to try and, and, and hope that everything's good and depending on where your belief is in God and what it means to get to heaven, to over this side where Jesus Christ has paid the price that we couldn't pay. He did what we couldn't do. That's why, for me, this verse sums up the Gospel so well. Because of Jesus Christ and faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Another key verse in this whole area is 2 Corinthians 3.17. For the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Man, I love that verse. Where God is, there's freedom. When God shows up, we have freedom. When His Spirit is active, we have freedom. This verse is part of a, a wider a discourse that's going on. Paul, who, who wrote this passage, he's a, a Pharisee. That means he was an expert in Jewish law, the way things were supposed to be done. The, 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 the law governed every aspect of a Jewish person's life, how they went about their daily life, what they had to do, the festivals and feasts and laws and rules and regulations. It was an external expression of what it meant to live this religious life. And Paul, in this passage where he says his verse, is explaining that it's like there's a veil over their hearts. The, the Old Testament law is like a veil over their hearts. And if you've been here in recent times, I've been talking about having a veil over our face. What happened when Moses had an encounter with God and God spoke to him and he wrote down the commandments, his face was shining so bright that he had to put a veil over it so that others could look at him. And even after that brightness had faded, Moses wore the veil so that no one would know the presence or the glory of God had departed. This verse is saying, for, for these people, their, their hearts had been dulled, their minds been closed off to the reality of who Jesus Christ was. It was like a veil over their hearts. Have you ever wondered why people don't believe what you believe? How they something that seems so simple and so obvious and clear to you is so foreign to someone else who might think like you on every other aspect. This passage in the verse, it tells us that because of the, the Old Testament, the, the laws, and I'm not saying we don't read the Old Testament, there's so much in it for us to learn and grow, but we don't live under the, the boundary of that now, we live under the boundary of the New Covenant. But because of that, there was a thing that was stopping them, and it was only in accepting who Jesus Christ is and was that they can be set free from that. It's a revelation experience. It's not enough to know the good news we need the revelation of it in our heart. You need to understand the, the life of Jesus Christ. And that's why I, I'm so thankful the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. It's not about what we see or what we know, but it's about that, that thing inside us that says, you know what, even when it doesn't make sense, 
even when I don't have all the answers, I still believe in this Jesus Christ. Believe that he died for me and that he rose again. When it uses that language, for the Lord is the Spirit, that the word there, it's the same word that we would use to refer to the Holy Spirit. And where God's Spirit exists, there is freedom. That's a similar thought to the previous verse that I shared at the beginning in Ephesians. It's Christ that sets us free. We have freedom in Jesus Christ and freedom because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And here's the link to my thoughts for us today. If God is spirit, if that's part of who he is, part of his nature, and I don't have time to unpack the Trinity for us today, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If God is spirit and where his spirit is, there is freedom, I reckon we need to be doing everything we can to cultivate the presence of God in our lives. I think we need to be welcoming God and his spirit and his presence here amongst us when we meet together. He's already here. I think if there's freedom available, I want it. I don't know about you, but I wanna live a life of freedom. Free from some of the, the ways I, I think, some of the attitudes of my heart. Free from, from, from some of the ugly stuff that might be on the inside of me. I wanna be free to love God and love people. One of the ways that we, we do that as a church is we put an emphasis here on worship as part of our service. On a Sunday, we'll sing a few songs. We'll encourage people to worship. One of the things that, that I'm, I'm aware of, and this is pretty much my frame of reference for everything that I do in, in church world, I, I, I keep this one thought in mind. I don't know if you've ever wondered what worship must be like to someone who's never been in church before. Like what, to me, it's weird. We, we, we get together, we sit in pews or chairs or we stand or whatever, and, and, and the team get up and they sing these songs and, and people are happy. And, and, and I know they don't do it in every church, but gee, some people here, they even lift their hands up. I mean, come on, really? And, and occasionally, just occasionally, I hear someone bust out a clap. When, when I grew up, every year just had to clap. It was all, you know, there was lots of different white patterns and it's like learning different claps. It's kind of weird now, it's probably not to a lot of you because you've been in church so long that you don't kind of connect with that thought. But I've, I've had conversations with people who have come into church for the first time and I was like, how did you find that today? And some of the things that they'll, they'll tell me about worship and, and what it kind of looked like for them was, I felt really happy or I, I felt peaceful. Now, we would perhaps use different words to express what they've just said, but there's definitely something that happens in that moment in worship. It is an experience. I've been to some churches over the years and this is partly what informs the way I, I go about church and, and, and I've been to these churches and I've had absolutely no idea what was going on. They were using language that meant nothing to me. They were using symbolism that was so loaded for them but I didn't know what they mean. I didn't know when to stand and when to sit, what to say and I've said this before, I didn't even know how to take communion. I felt in every essence an outsider and I'm a pastor. What hope do others have of engaging with the message? And, and so that, that's part of why I, as much as possible, we, 
we use language that is accessible. We, we don't wrap symbolism around everything we do. We, we try and take the truth that we have and the revelation in our heart and, and package it in such a way that people will engage with that. And, and we're good at that in some areas and we're, we're improving in others, but that's part of what we're here to do as a church, help the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ make sense in society today. Today, I wanna focus on a particular question. How do we worship? We understand from the, the Bible and, and study of that, that, that worship has a sense of, of bowing down, of surrender, of lifting the object of our worship, of worship up. And in our context here, hopefully we're worshiping God. That's the person that we're lifting up. And, and we put ourselves not down, but we, we surrender, we bow, we show reverence and respect. I love a quote that uh, Janelle reminded me of uh, just this week, that worship is a thank you that can never be loud enough or long enough. And our key text for today comes from passage where Jesus is talking to a woman at the well. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you open up to John chapter four. As part of the overall message that, that he's giving to her, and it's under the, the context of Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. I'll explain what that all means in a minute, help us kind of understand that. But Romans chapter four, beginning in verse 19, says this. Hezekiah. John, just checking that you were listening. You see, I do that every so often, just to make sure you're engaged. Okay, Acts chapter four. John chapter four, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and where his worshippers and sorry, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now the, the context of this dialogue for, for us is that this woman is, is a Samaritan woman. That a, a part of the, the Jewish history at a time they'd split into two nations that had followed two very different leaders. And, and at one point, the, the nation of, of uh, Israel got conquered by uh, the Assyrians. They got taken away into captivity and, and integrated throughout the society. And this group that become known as the Samaritans had uh, eventually had come back and settled back in their hometown, but they'd married people that were, were not Jewish, they'd, that they had decided that they, they wouldn't follow those ways anymore. And they began to marry other people. And, and the leader uh, of the, the group at the time, they, they basically relocated Jerusalem and the temple, not physically, but they, they now had other places of significance where this is where you have to, we have to worship God and this is how you do it. And so there was a, a huge hatred between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. The, the Samaritans thought that they were doing it the right way and, and they were, were going, through, but the Jews were like, how dare you take what this message and pollute it? How dare you go your own way? So there's this incredible angst between them. And here's Jesus talking to this 
Samaritan woman. There's, there's two cultural faux pas there for Jesus. He kind of blew things culturally fairly regularly. He just didn't care. A, he's talking to a woman in the context of, of that society at that time. That, that wasn't the smartest thing for him to be doing. He was on his own. The d- disciples were in getting food and things. And she's a Samaritan. She had a lot going against her for him to, to but Jesus being Jesus, and there's so much in that particular thought just engages with anybody wherever there's an opportunity to speak love and life into someone. You can take that for free. We'll talk about that a different day. And he begins to engage this woman in teaching her on worship. I want to pull a few thoughts out of this passage that may help us this morning. Worship is not a particular expression or form. Jesus is redefining what worship was for this woman. No longer is worship to be carried out in the temple. No longer is it a prescriptive form or to fit a specific mould to be able to worship. The doors are wide open. Jesus is inviting everyone to participate. That's why I use the phrase here sometimes that it's okay to belong before you believe. You don't don't have to believe what we believe to belong here. Our hope and our prayer, why we do what we do, is that one day maybe you will believe the things we believe. But everybody's welcome. Skeptics are welcome. Searchers are encouraged. You don't have to think like we think to engage with our God. You don't have to, to, to have all the same belief systems that we do to be on this journey of discovering who God is. There's an, the other aspect of worship that, that Jesus is perhaps introducing is that worship's not tied to a particular style. There's no right or wrong form or place to do it. We can get too tied up with worship being too much like Hillsong or not enough like Hillsong. It's too fast or slow. It's too loud or it's too quiet. In fact, there's a whole bunch of churches of Christ that believe that worship must be a cappella. There will be no instruments, for goodness sake. the, The drums clearly are of the devil. Don't you dare bring an electric guitar and shit. Some of you will remember those days, right? The, the angst around having a drum kit in church or amplification. Now, an overhead, oh my goodness, an overhead projector. Bring back the overhead projector. That was one of my jobs when I was a, a, a kid at church, running the overhead projector. Now, my, the church I was in at the time, it had just built this new building and, and the overhead projector was electric. The, the, the screen. So I could sit there, I pushed a button and the screen would go, and then it would drop, then I pushed it and down it would come and I had to get it. Oh, it was so cool. <laughs> anyway, stop distracting me, you lot. If the style of worship is not important, then the important bit becomes the nature of our worship. Jesus gets into this thought as well. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. If God is seeking a particular kind of worshipper, I want to be that. If he's looking for something, that's what I want to be. If, if, he, if he's seeking, so he's searching, there's an aspect, who, who amongst the people is going to be this kind of worship? That's what I'm looking for. He's looking for it because he will respond to it. 
I want it to, I want to be that. I don't know about anybody else, but that's what I want. And I want to encourage us as a church to be hungry for that. We want to be the kind of worshipper that this God we serve is looking for. So this morning, because we're told to worship God in spirit and in truth, I want to unpack what that looks like a little bit. The word spirit there is the same word in the first verses we looked at. It's the spirit of God. Worshipping contains a spiritual aspect. It's about our whole heart. Because God is spirit, worship comes from that part of us that was created by God to reflect Him, our inner person, our heart. Worshipping God in spirit will depend upon the attitude of the heart. And that's how worship is different to the Old Testament model. It's not the external expression any longer. It's an inward reflection. Worship comes from our heart. It's a reflection of what's going on inside us. To worship in truth means that it's properly informed. There there is an intellectual aspect to this. This is when we worship God because of what we know about Him, what we've, we've learned when we discover aspects of His character, of His nature, of the things He's done. It's an informed response, a conscious decision to worship Him. That knowledge often informs our heart. I, I love my wife a whole bunch, quite clearly. She doesn't need to do anything anymore to gain that love. She has that love. But when I discover that she's done something, my heart feels different. There's a response in me because of what she has done. I think it's similar with God. We, we can worship Him because of who He is. But when we discover something about what He's done, it makes that heartfelt response even stronger. The Bible is full of binary promises, and this is something I will unpack at a different time. I've mentioned it in the past, that often with God, there's, there's different ref, uh, aspects of His character, His nature, that, that sometimes seem to be in, in contrast. The, the, I won't talk about a whole lot of them, but the Bible talks about Him being, uh, God, be, Jesus, sorry, being Saviour and King. talks about Him being the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. It says that He's the Lion and the Lamb. Now, in, in our head, that, that they seem like contrasting things, but those conflicts often end up reflecting different aspects of the nature of God. In this particular case, we're told that we must worship in spirit and in truth. There's a binary aspect to that that can't be separated. It must be both. Worship, I think, goes astray when we have one and not the other, when we overemphasise one particular aspect of it. If we worship in spirit alone, it's all about passion and emotion It's about the moment. It's a response to something we feel. It's shallow. As soon as the moment is over or it's past, the worship ends. On a given Sunday, I can walk away feeling like worship was absolutely amazing. Everything just seemed to fall into place. Have you ever felt like that on a Sunday? It's like, man, that felt felt good this morning. The following Sunday may not feel like that at all. There's a bunch of factors at play. Song selection, the musician's ability to play the song, dynamics of the team, how well they're playing together. The sound mix makes a difference. The lighting matters, the temperature of the room, what's happening in our lives. All these factors can influence how I feel about worship. Sometimes I can default to the position of, well, I didn't get a lot out of worship today. 
then I remember something that we've talked about here before. I'm not supposed to get something out of worship because I'm not the object of the worship. God is. I'm supposed to give something because I'm not being worshipped. Perhaps instead of asking myself the question, how did I feel about worship today? I should ask God how he felt about worship. Where were we actually worshipping him or were we simply singing songs? And that's where the tension lies for me because God is such a generous God and, and throughout his word we understand that when we worship him, when we lift him up, he actually blesses us, he actually gives us stuff, he, he shifts things in our lives, his very presence makes a difference. Because I know that when God shows up, things can happen in my life. And while the outcome is not that I would be blessed out of it, the outcome is that I would be blessing him, I know that I get blessed in the process. But we don't look for the blessing, we look to worship God. And my perspective can shift in worship. Sometimes when I come into worship, I might have been struggling with something during the week, I might feel overwhelmed by a set of circumstances. And as I worship... I feel better about things. It's like I I get a a different perspective on it. Why? Because I'm worshipping the creator of the universe. And we start singing songs that that have words like, he's mighty, he's he's powerful, he can make, he can change. And we talk about his character of love and, and we sing those songs. And when I'm engaging with the words and understanding that nature and the aspect of God, it can shift my perspective on things. The weight seems less. Because of all that I do feel, sometimes the trap is that I rely on my feelings alone. If I worship God when I feel like worshipping God, there are lots of times I just don't want to. Things will have to be just right for me to worship. There are two very contrasting moments of worship in the Bible that's helpful for us to to touch on this morning. And the first one is the, the uh, people of Israel had escaped Egyptian slavery. And they've come through the sea and, and, and the waters have closed up and the Egyptian army's wiped out and, and they're now free. God has delivered them from slavery. And the Miriam and the other woman, they, they get together and they worship God from that place of joy. Of, of Thank you God for what you've done. The, the Bible records a, a song that was written in that moment of how amazing he is. And then there's another story. King David, whose infant son has just died. And it says that David, when he hears that his son has died, he goes and washes, changes his clothes. He goes and begins to worship God. From a place of absolute despair, David worshiped God from a place of joy. In, in these two examples, worshippers, the mood of worship would be very different. Can't imagine David jumping around all excited and happy because that wasn't reflective of what was going on inside him at the time. But he knew even in the hard moments, even when my world might seem like it's falling apart, I can still worship God. Worshipping in spirit is worshipping God from where we are. It's engaging our heart in the process and being honest about that. It's okay to worship God when you're having a tough time. In fact, what a great moment to worship God, to lift Him up, to acknowledge who He is, what He can do in your life, 
It's a great place to worship God from. Another great place to worship God from is when everything's going great in your world. God, I thank You that I had a great week. I thank You for that promotion or I thank You for, for that pay rise or I thank You that, that things are great in my family. Whatever the circumstance, God, I thank You. It's a great place to worship God from. But we can't choose one or the other. Go, I, I'm just not feeling like it today. I don't feel inclined to worship God. Because there's times I don't feel like it and I do it anyway. And maybe I don't feel any different at the end of it. But once again, it was about Him, not me. And if I do feel different at the end of it, it's because of the generosity of God. But He blesses me anyway. But if we worship with truth only, it's dry and passionless. Can the worship team can come join me? That's a signal that I'm about 20 minutes away from being finished. It can easily lead to legalism as it becomes about a prescriptive form. Worship can almost become combative. We have to do it this way. That's our tradition. It's often followed by the words that drive me absolutely bonkers. That's the way we've always done it. In fact, when I hear those words, I'm probably going to work extra hard to dismantle whatever it is that that referenced. When we worship in truth only, there's no emotional engagement. It's just an intellectual exercise. I want to try something this morning that I don't know if this is going to work or not. I've never done it before. I just kind of, middle of the night, woke up and had a brilliant idea that may not be a brilliant idea at all. I want you to close your eyes for a moment, everybody, because I'm going to do some really spooky things. No. I'm going to ask... Jeff to, to play something on the keyboard and I want you to, to and be aware of the emotion perhaps that you're feeling as he's playing. Jeff, can you play something for us please? Okay, that's great. Uh, you can stop there, thank you. What were some of the emotions you were feeling as he's playing? Humour? Happy? Play school, yeah, it just took me way back, didn't it? Yeah, there, there, was a, there was a happy emotion attached with that. Now play something else for us. Okay, before some of you start curling up in the corner and never going to the beach again, what were some of the emotions you were feeling while that was playing? Horror, fear, humour? <laughs> You're sick and twisted. Have we got anything else? You got it? Any... Oh, nice. Okay. What might you be feeling there? Dan you feel like dancing? Okay. Thanks, mate. That, that was it. Good. If you've you got anything else you want to play, you can, but we don't have to. Okay, we'll stop there. <laughs> Music does have an emotional element to it. There's an aspect of music that unlocks some things emotionally for us. In fact, music's an incredibly powerful thing. It can take us back to a moment. You can hear a song on the radio that will take you straight back to a moment in your life. Maybe the first dance with your loved one. You know, I've, I've heard people say so many, and we, that's our song. Kerry and I don't have a song. I know. Maybe I should choose one. I don't know. We have a playlist. That's right. My whole life is a song of love to my wife. <laughs> I can pull those lines out anytime I want. So smooth. 
We have to, not even close. Settle down. I'll, I'll evict you from church. I don't even know if I can do that, but it could be fun finding out. Try me. We can't just make it an intellectual exercise because we're actually hardwired as emotional people as well as intellectual people. We need to engage in spirit and in truth. What would it look like in context here? How would we know if we're out of balance? Because I don't think it's we permanently live. I think we can swing from, from place to place. How do we know if we're a little bit out of balance? Have, have you ever said or thought, that's not worship? Have you ever been overly distracted by what's going on around you? Have you ever stopped worshipping because you just don't feel like it? Perhaps those are indications that things might be out of balance in our lives. There's a reason that Jesus gives both spirit and truth as a picture of true worship. It's so that we will worship regardless of emotions. In fact, we will worship because of and with our emotions. But we will do it from an informed place and an acknowledgement of who God is and what He's like. It's the reason that I regularly share a verse at the start of the service. I don't know if you've noticed normally our, our normal form, because that's just the way we've always done it, is that, that I'll, I'll get up and, and I'll, I'll share a verse and encouragement. It's because I, I'm, I'm framing worship up within context of who He is. I'm, I'm giving us a, a platform of an intellectual engagement with the reality or the nature of God for us to worship from. And then often when I tie worship up, I'll, I'll engage with something perhaps that's going on in your life. Maybe you're struggling with something right now. We need to know the truth. It's because we worship from a place of spirit as well. It's not an accident that, that we do it the way we do it. It's because we understand the reality of who He is and how He's looking for us to worship. So why did I preach so early in the service today? Partly to make those who arrive late feel guilty and get here earlier next week. But mostly because I want us to worship God together. I want us to engage for the rest of this service in, in worshipping perhaps from that place of spirit and truth this morning. And the overarching theme for our year of worshipping God or, or freedom, sorry. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We want to invite Spirit of God here amongst us this morning as we worship. Could the communion helpers come up and just grab a seat? We're going to do that in a moment. Today, because of who Jesus Christ is, through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We can live with freedom. Sharing in the prayer meeting before the service, an illustration about a gazelle. Uh, how many people have seen a gazelle at a zoo? A few people been to a zoo, seen a gazelle. The thing about a gazelle is when I've seen them at the zoo, they're, they're normally behind a fence that's about that high. And, and, and I don't know if you, you know much about gazelles, but gazelles can jump 10 feet high. It's incredible. And they can jump 30 feet long. So this thing, this gazelle, could actually get out of that enclosure anytime it wanted to. The way they train them to not get out is they put the fence at six feet high and they put a roof over the top of it. So every time the gazelle jumps, it hits the roof over and over and over again until it stops jumping. And then they can take the roof away and the gazelle will never escape because no longer are the cages on the outside, cages on the inside. 
the ceiling is now in its mind. It's now locked in to not living the freedom that it has. That's part of the reason I'm so passionate about us exploring this idea of living in freedom. Because we need to get the cages in our mind, the limitations that we live by gone, so that we can be like the gazelle running wild, jumping 10 feet high, 30 feet long. Man, that would make playing basketball really easy. <laughs> we're going to hand communion out and, and we're gonna, the team are going to sing a, a new song for us this morning. And as communion's being handed out today, during the song, you don't have to stand, just let the team sing and we'll sing it together a bit later. But I want you to take communion in your time. As, as you reflect on who Jesus Christ is, listen to the words of the song. It talks the story of, of grace that we have and freedom in Christ. Engage with God this morning with your emotions, whether it's happy, sad, or you're feeling nothing today. Engage your, your, the truth aspect. God, I, I thank You for who You are and what You've done. The reason we take communion is that Jesus Christ died for us as we talked about earlier in the service. This communion is, is a reflection or symbolism now that I've spoken against symbolism of, of His blood shed for us and His body broken as He was whipped and beaten and tortured, died on that cross. And He instructed us to take communion so we would remember Him and what He did. And that's what we wanna do this morning. We wanna remember Christ because it's through Him and faith in Him that we can approach God with freedom and confidence. And that's the freedom and confidence that you have this morning. Maybe you're not in a relationship with God at all today. Maybe you've, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. What a great day to do that. Maybe a bit later on, I'll give you an opportunity to respond in that aspect. If you're a visitor and you don't feel comfortable taking communion, you're free to let it pass by. But like I said, you don't have to believe what we believe to belong here. If you wanna take communion, you're welcome to take communion. And what I'd encourage you to do in that place is go, God, if you are real, why don't you show me that you're real? Or Jesus, thank I don't know what to do with to this, this all right now, but I thank Henry you that you did die Christ. on that cross. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org.